Welcome to Side Effects with an A. When effect is normally used, it's a noun. It's already occurred. Effect is a verb, meaning action. Action influences outcomes. I'm Scott McGowan. And I'm Anne-Marie Singleton. We will provoke you to think differently. Side Effects, where problems are defined, solutions exposed. Welcome to Side Effects. I'm Scott McGowan. And I'm Anne-Marie Singleton. We've got an amazing guest with us here today. The fountain of knowledge, as I refer to him. Grant Reed, thanks for being here. Thank you. It's my pleasure. So uh, you've been with McGowan Brabender for a long time. We're really grateful for all your support. But also, you've got a long track record in regards to expertise in this, uh, in this industry. So where did, you, where did you start your career? I started my career actually on January 6, 1975. Grant's so, not very exact. So. Yeah, uh, it was a Monday, uh, and so uh, this coming January it will be my forty-third uh, year in this business. Wow. Yeah. Well, one of the things we want to do is um, there's a sense of urgency in regards to the Affordable Care Act and this most recent executive order. Yes. Uh, and there's a lot of questions that people have. Yes. What does this mean? Uh, and and what should we do? Exactly. Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, what's interesting about this is this kind of came from left field, the, the actual wording in the executive order. And uh, we do have the executive order. I understand we'll be uploading it to our, our uh, site uh, for people to download if they'd like to read it. But there had been a lot of talk in really several months up to this executive order talking about selling across state lines. And right. as an underwriter, right away I'm starting to, to yell at the television saying, simply selling across state lines won't do anything because if I'm an insurer that doesn't have business in uh, Indiana, let's say, and I decide that because I can sell across state lines, I'm going to go to Indiana and sell a product, my pricing is going to be so much higher than everyone else because I don't have a discount. Right. Uh, if I'm able to get a discount, then maybe I can compete. But simply selling across state lines is not the answer. Because the carrier needs a relationship with the health systems in order to offer a competitive rate and that's, product. That's exactly right. right. Uh, there were some people that uh, clearly didn't understand the direction they were going that talked about uh, the different mandates within the states. And the National Association of Insurance Commissioners came out just a few weeks ago and said they looked at the cost of all these mandates across all the states, and the variation is only at most 5%. So that's certainly not going to open up a, a market for you. By you know what's interesting? You bring that up, uh, and I know we're going to talk about the executive order, but you talk about the funding that we spend in this country on co-ops. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. That was part of the original. Exactly. The and original the majority of them are gone. That's correct. They, yeah. they did not survive. Very quickly, they went away. But quickly, your reference point is the fact that they didn't have the pricing model in the markets in which they were doing business. That's correct. So you yeah. and I, if we were going to buy water, we would assume that the price for water in Indiana is similar as it is in, in Dayton. It's close. It's close, yes. Healthcare yeah. just defies all laws of economics. That's correct. And so when we hear selling cross state lines, the, pe the, the public hears, wow, that's Competition, great. Right. I'm the skeptic, and I'm like, that, you know, that's just, a, uh, unfortunately, a, a uh, deceptive way to put hope in the American people that health care costs is going to become lower, because it's, it's just not. Well, even if they were to overcome, they being the insurance companies, were able to overcome that, that network discount, 
Right. Let's look at the profits that the insurance companies make. There's been all kinds of talk this week about the $17 billion that they've made so far this year. Well, they have a trillion dollars of exposure. So that's only about 1.7%. That's a very narrow profit margin. And if you withhold these, um, see the, these uh, cost-sharing reduction payments, that's $7 billion. That's going to eat away a lot of the profit they've made. I don't know about you, but I, I would like my insurance company to have money to pay my claims. Right. That would certainly be good. I don't want them to be excessive, but there's already provisions in there that control how much profit they can make. Through the MLR. Uh, yes, through the mm -hmm. loss ratio. So we're already controlling it that way. This just tells me, though, they're not making a lot of money on other coverages in addition to the hundreds of millions of dollars that they've lost on the uh, marketplace. Right, and so the cost-sharing that you're talking about has to do with the subsidies and the amounts that are available for people through the exchanges. Yes, if I have income less than 250% of the federal poverty level and I buy a silver plan, right. uh, they, they, that will give me effectively a lower deductible, lower out-of-pocket, uh, just based on these uh, cost-sharing reductions. Right. Uh, so it enabled me to have better coverage for a better price. Right. Uh, it, it evaporates once you get to 250% of the federal poverty level. But what happened? This executive order, uh, we got just a few days ahead of time, people started talking about it was going to make a change to ERISA. Now, ERISA, I am a child of ERISA. I started in 1975. ERISA was signed in September 1974. Okay. One of the first tasks I was given when I came into, it was Medical Mutual of Cleveland at the time. Uh, they said, figure this ERISA stuff out. We had no self-funded clients, so it really didn't apply to us. But it gave me a chance to get in and read the, the pages of the law and try and understand what it was they were doing. And they were recognizing that you have these corporations that are really conglomerates of businesses that cross state lines and those were the leaders in self-insurance right so it said these corporations they called them control groups are really one corporation for the purpose of ERISA mm -hmm. so you you had you know like 15500 to file different things like that and you were allowed to sell or to purchase coverage across state lines since you were one employer right but in what, the state in the state in which they were housed right yes 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 what this does, what this executive order does, is it comes in and says, well, we're going to also call association health plans as a corporation. We're going to include it under that, which would give you then the ability for a small group and an individual to join together and make a large corporation and be recognized under ERISA. Now, the devil's in the details, as I mentioned before. Sixty days, the president has given them to come up with the regulations to that will apply to this. And this is very critical over whether or not this is going to be a success or a failure. The reason the Affordable Care Act has failed is the regulations dip into the underwriting regulations right. that the carriers do. Right. You have to have a balance of the risk that you're bringing into this. And frankly, there's a couple of things specifically that are within the ACA that have caused that balance not to happen. Yeah. Most of the, the people that are signing up for uh, the marketplace are in the 55 plus age category. We're not attracting the, ver the people young. that are very young. Right, right. so we're you know getting the, poor risk. You know what the one age is that has the most people alive in the United States right now? Hmm. 26. That's one of the lowest categories 
of, of people signing up for the ACA. Yeah. So we're not bringing those people in. The reason is their prices are so much higher than it used to be. And when they look at those, what the cost is, they say it's not a good value. I'm going to go ahead and pay the penalty if indeed it even applies to me because right. it's still kind of hard to get a job as a young person. So you may not have a, a, a good-paying job and right. you've got a yeah. waiver and so you don't even have to pay the tax penalty. So you've got the, the key things are uh, someone in writing the law thought it was discriminatory that we would charge more for a female than a male. Well, it just happens that it is more expensive for a female than a male. Sure, especially so during if, childbearing years. Maybe. Yes, and, and really it, it's not as much related to childbearing. It's the fact that there is a female reproductive system. And there's so many more issues that arise with that than it does within the male. Right. They also had this notion that, hey, last time I checked, I think my insurance when I was 18 was a heck of a lot more than my sister's. Car insurance. Oh, oh car, car insurance. Yes. Well, okay. well, that's different. That's, that's, that's a different set well, of statistics. But that's discriminatory, Scott. Yeah. You shouldn't allow that. By golly. Uh, but the and other thing is, is this whole notion of age bans. The, the, the authors of the law thought if they narrowed them from, you know, carriers traditionally went 8 to 1, 10 to 1. Right. If they narrowed it to 3 to 1, that these costs would meet in the middle. That's not what happened at all. You still need what the same happened? dollar amount to insure the same set of people. Exactly right? right. And the law of large numbers is all about a lot of people paying for a few people. And when they compressed these ranges, what they did was they brought the higher age ranges down just a little bit. But those lower age ranges had to come way up to meet them. Right. So that's what pushed the cost up for the younger people. Those are the people that come to the table without any claims and that caused it to fail because the young people said I'm not going to pay $250 a month for coverage that I'm not going to use. Right. I'll I mean it's a bargain. When, you, you, can pay, you can pay almost in, in Montgomery County for a bronze plan you can pay almost $250 a month or almost $3,000 a year and for that you get a $7,150 deductible. Yeah. So you have to have almost $10,000 in claims for that to pay off. Right. Yeah, so in, in, in prior to that, so if I'm 62, my rate might have been, you know, pick a number, $900. And a 26-year-old might have been, a male would be $80. Yep. A male yep. might have been $300. Yep. So what happened is now that 26-year-old's uh, premium is, you know, three or $400. Correct. Right. That 62-year-old is now $700. And the young people just jumped out of the pool and yelled, fish out of water. Right. That's correct. So we just yeah. fill this pool. It's uh, just adverse selection. At well, and many finest. of them, too, went on their parents' plan. Because they could. Which I've heard people say, that's free. Well, it's not free. <laughs> Do you know what a 25-year-old a costs on average? This is data out of our data analytics system. $2,648 a year. That's not free. Right. That's shifting the cost onto the employer. So many employers have borne that cost, and it continues to drive up the cost for our groups. Um, you know, this. you said this came out of sort of left field, and we had yes. been hearing that not much was going to happen after, um, you know, there was the, the whole situation where it didn't go to a vote, and then the focus was other places, and mm -hmm. everything seemed to be fairly quiet, and then we get this executive order that's two pages and a quarter or something. Yes. It's fairly short. Yeah. Um, so what do you think led, led up to this, why, why it came out, out of the Well, it's clearly uh, Senator Rand Paul's idea. He had been talking about it. We had been talking about it again in terms of simply selling across state lines being the end all. What this does, though, this changes ERISA to allow small groups and individuals to join together to form 
a corporation under ERISA, if, if they do not put any regulations in that restrict the underwriting. What this does, other than the fines and penalties, is that it repeals the Affordable Care Act because every insurer will abandon the marketplace and they'll move over and they'll have these association health plans. The other thing it does is we had these short-term limited duration mm -hmm. policies right. that were in existence and uh, the uh, Obama administration shortly they before the end, those. they shrunk the time down that you could have these. That's an excellent alternative to this, especially if you're kind of bridging the gap. You know, if you could have it up to a year, right. uh, you don't need this comprehensive coverage maybe. You're still contributing something to the pool. And that's what we need is right. we need more and people. And this reintroduces those short-term plans. Yes, yes, it does. Yeah. Uh, the other part of that is the health reimbursement arrangements. Using those to actually, you can give them to your employees and they can use that to purchase coverage on their own. You know, if, if they do not put any re regulations on underwriting in, the, in these association health plans, what it will do is allow the insurers to go back out and return to their pre-ACA pricing. That would apply to the individuals, that would apply to the small groups. I mean, the, the, when the small groups get into the ACA rates, it's horrible. We, right. we run set tests all the time. It doubles their rates right off the bat because of the compression of the age ranges primarily. So, so if they don't do that, that, that repeals that. We have to get rid of the fines and penalties somehow. Right. But nobody will be offering insurance in the marketplace. So you said you've been with ERISA since the beginning. Yes. And um, really, I, I've, I've been in this industry 11 years, so not quite as long as you or you. Um, but there hasn't been very many changes to the ERISA law over time, has there? Well, you, you had COBRA. Uh, yeah. HIPAA, yeah. those were extensions. The big you had the Women's were... Health Care Act that was mm -hmm. part of that, but noth nothing major. I mean, COBRA right. and HIPAA were s for specific things, uh, you know, around portability of coverage, trying to get away from pre-existing conditions, which is an, another thing that I hope this doesn't address if, if it allows carriers to adjust rates for pre-existing conditions. That's another important part of that. Yeah. So what you're so really, you know, the crux of this is Prior to 2010, our healthcare system was an epic mess. Um, well, in, in we, we, had to an, cost. we had an uninsured prop problem, and, and no, I would contend that it wasn't, not compared to now. We've got many states where, with this most recent rate change, the rates have quadrupled since mm -hmm. the Affordable Care Act went into place. A a 22-year-old person could buy mail could buy coverage for 75 bucks a month, sure. and it was a PPO plan. It offered very good coverage. Uh, well, now the whole system has been pulled up. I mean, yes, we have a lot of older people that have signed up for the plan, but we still don't have the healthy ones that right. have signed up for Which the marketplace. Which is the whole premise right. of insurance. So right. it's driving right. that cost up and up. What this would do, if there's no underwriting regulations being impacted here, it would put us back to March 22nd, 2010. Right. There we would have this, this spread of rates, maybe eight to one. We would have males that are paying less than females at certain ages. It, it crosses once you get into your 50s. Yeah. Um, and that, that wide range of rates would, would make the coverage more affordable for a lot of the people that are staying out of the plan. But what that does is that puts us back to when we have that pool of people that are uninsured and right. what do we do with But when you, you know, when you talk about that, I mean, one is, um, pre-existing conditions is a big deal. And yes, that's, it is. that scares people to death. Yes. And my personal opinion is, is prior to 2010, uh, I think it was very disappointing that this country 
had a healthcare system that people, when they needed it, couldn't get it. I, I just think it was wrong. So did they address it in the right way financially, this country? The answer is no. No. Absolutely right, not. not. Right. No. However, the future of this. So I think the, the, the premise that everybody wants is they want to keep what they have, but they want it to be less and they want better quality and they want better access. And yes. the, the truth is, the answer to that is no, no. So in order to change this, it is going to be significantly disruptive. Yes. But what this would allow um, our country to experience is you would have carriers, so the Anthems, the Uniteds, the Aetnas, the Cygnus, other carriers come back into the individual market. Yes. Come back into the employer market. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't be um, shackled with uh, the metallic plants, which That's destroys right. a yeah. strategy for an employer. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and it would probably drive additional competition back up into the individual market. And yeah. we would see lower costs. Right. Because right. we would get more people joining the pool. You know, and you said something, Scott, people want to keep what they have. And I think that you met globally people, you know, want to have their PPO plan or what have you. But mm -hmm. I would say that most employers in this region um, don't want to keep what they have. They want something better because they've had to go to plans that they don't feel like are offering mm -hmm. the type of coverage mm -hmm. that that they want to, to their workforce. Most of them are at a high deductible plan. Many of them have a 60% plan as, as their plan because that's what they can afford. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things too, Grant, is when you look at this, um, so obviously you had, uh, I don't care if you're left or right, you, you had the left, now you have the right, and nobody wants to touch this with, with, with a 10-foot pole, but this is a Jenga tower. I mean, this thing's gonna topple. Yes. Whether it, you it, like it or not. Yes. It's just a matter of time. Yes. Uh, and so it, here's my opinion. Doing nothing is a terrible option. Terrible right. option. Right. Just You're leaving right. it alone. Mm -hmm. uh, because if, do you pay taxes? Yes. Last time I checked, I do. Yes. Yeah. You I, pay taxes? Yes, I, I do. Yeah, I mean, we I all do. I mean, so, to, I so do. we're all paying for this. Mm -hmm. We're paying for this. Yes, we are. Uh, and we're better than this. Yes. Uh, and we can make significant changes. So what what's the likelihood of... I mean, 60 days is pretty short, yeah. right? 60 days is pretty short. If if they put it through with no tampering of the underwriting yeah, regulations. You keep saying that. We're going to talk about that in a second. Okay. Then that's going to put us back to pre-ACA times. Right. Which is so we're going back to the future. March again. again. Back to the back future. Back to the future. <laughs> yes, yes. Watched every one of those movies. I feel yeah, like okay. I'm on Groundhog Day uh -huh. or something here. So, but the problem is that puts us back to a large pool of uninsured people. Yeah. Correct. And I've looked and looked. I've yelled at the television long enough that my wife, Coral, finally said, why don't you do something about it? And I wrote up a proposal. And the proposal that I have is a payroll tax. It's a very significant payroll tax. It's something along the order of $200 billion a year. But in my opinion, that's what we would need in order to fund the uninsured. Right. We, we need to get out of the business of tampering with the group insurance. That's a huge portion of our, our health care expenditure every year in the United States. We need to leave that alone. We need to let that continue to go on. Um, and, and the Cadillac tax, which as it is would come in a couple of years, right. would do a lot to exit employers from that. Uh, but we need to address the uninsured. The ACA did not effectively address the uninsured. It shifted right. a lot of uninsureds around. But now if we can get back to where we have good competitive pricing and good products in the small group and individual market, we still need to figure out a way to solve the uninsured population. 
my proposal does it with a payroll tax. What was the percentage of that payroll tax? Uh, it would be 1% on the recipient of a W-2. Mm -hmm. uh, it would be 1% on the payer of a W-2. Okay. With the 1099, the person that's paying the 1099 would pay 3% of that because they're not providing insurance to that person. They're paying the 1099 too. And if they're paying, they being the employer, something in a W-2 to someone that does not get insurance from them, then there'd be an additional charge for that as well. And in figuring the cost of this, I didn't include those extra amounts at all. It just seemed to me that we need some kind of incentive for employers to continue to offer group coverage. Right. She would pay a little bit less. Maybe we would get some of those part-time jobs coming back to be full-time if, if, we, if we did it this way. Uh, that would give us enough money, I believe, so that every child that doesn't have insurance through a group plan or a government plan uh, would be able to enroll in a CHIP program. In Ohio, we have the O-CHIP program. Right. Uh, some of the states would have to bring uh, the quality of their program up to date. They don't provide full coverage through that, uh, so there'd be some adjustment there. Um, that would cost about $22 billion. Then we, we would have over $170 billion left to help provide coverage for the uninsured. So if I'm a, a new business person that I can barely make payroll, well, my employees automatically have a bronze plan. Right. Benjamin Franklin had a great quote uh, that I love, that we, we may, must make the poor uncomfortable in their situation. So let's give everybody that doesn't have coverage through a group plan a bronze plan. Not the best coverage in the world, but you, maybe you can scrape together the cost to meet that out-of-pocket right. expense. You're not going to lose everything with a $100,000 claim. And we're not going to burden society with that $100,000 claim right. when you show up at, at one of the local hospitals and you don't have any money to pay for that. that. That's it, kind of in a nutshell. I don't see any other alternative to this. We, we, need, we have this great structure that exists within the group. We have a workable individual program. If we come in with some income restrictions, which I didn't look into my proposal, that would further narrow down the, the availability of this. But if we, if we find a good point at which if you're at this percent of the federal poverty level and uh, you can't afford to buy this insurance then, it's going to be given to you for free. So if, if someone's making $20,000 a year, their employer's taking $200 out of their pay. Their employer's contributing $200. Right. There's 400 of the nest egg. But if somebody's making 100000 or even a million, they're contributing much more than that. Right. And I really believe all of us will spend some time in that space where we need coverage. Now, timing of this is crucial. We're getting ready to have some type of, of tax reform, maybe some type of tax reduction. Right. If we can piggyback that with this change, you know, if you go to an employer and say, your rate's going from 35 to 20, but we're going to charge you a 1% on your payroll, which isn't your full cost, right. um, maybe that would be accepted. That sounds <clears throat> really simple. Yes. We're incapable of making those decisions today. Yeah. <laughs> it does sound simple. That's, because I've proven that time and again. You, I, I completely agree with you. So, so one of the things is, you know, this is a problem. Oh, yes. And uh, status quo is, quite frankly, it's just not an option. No. It just isn't. Will this work? I think it's, it's really anybody's guess. Uh, could it stabilize the market again? Potentially. Potentially so. 
So one of the things that we will do is we will put this uh, executive order out on healthierbirthdays.com. Yep, it's two pages. Um, it'd be worth taking a look at. Also, Grant shared with us uh, kind of a white paper written to uh, written by the uh, Actuaries Association. American Academy of Actuaries about uh, selling across state lines. Regarding um, the... Why that might work or not, might not right, work. Right, across right, state yeah. lines, because yeah. I've had a lot of calls about that. Okay. So we'll just keep on this subject and keep on this topic. And, uh, hey, thanks for being with us today. Uh, and I appreciate pleasure. it. Thanks, thanks for all your work me. and all your uh, all your effort and everything you do for, uh, for all of us. We thanks appreciate it. Thanks, Thank Grant. You. Join us next time. Thanks for listening and opening your mind. If you're interested in learning more, you can reach us at scott at healthierbirthdays.com. Or Ann at healthierbirthdays.com. We hope you'll join us next time on, on Side, Side Effects. Effects.